Now this morning, our final study in Romans 8. It's taken us nine weeks, a little longer than anticipated, to work through the chapter, but fruitful time, I trust, spent wrestling together with God's Word. All of us, preacher and hearer alike, sit under the authority of God's Word, as together we listen to what God has to say to us, as together we're changed by its dynamic life. Now, today our focus will be on verses 35 to uh, 39, the last few verses, but I want to read in from verse 31, which is the beginning of Paul's conclusion. Romans 8, uh, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, let's pray for a moment. Father, we pray that as we conclude this great chapter in your word, that that question, who can separate us from the love of God in Christ, will be one that we understand clearly. Help us to understand what the love of God in Christ is. And as we look at the stuff that comes along in life that, humanly speaking, should separate us from that love. We pray that we would see and understand that it cannot, that it will not. We pray in particular for any amongst us who are on the road that is the Christian life in a rut or facing an obstacle or a boulder difficulties or battles. We pray that the truth of these final verses in Romans would come to them in a very keen and special way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Paul's conclusion in Romans 8, verses 31 to 39, begins with a question. What then, verse 31, shall we say to these things? 
In other words, Paul is saying, what then shall we say to these great gospel truths that we have wrestled with together, that I, Paul, have outlined in this letter, not least this chapter. Great gospel truths, like for those in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. There is liberation from the power of sin. There is adoption as a child of God. There is, as we journey on the road of the Christian life, life in the Spirit now and resurrection life bodily beyond the grave to a new creation, a glorious inheritance. There is groaning on the road, but always in hope and with help from the Holy Spirit. What then shall we say to all these things? And of course, in Paul's mind in Romans 8, the reason he writes it is to respond to the doubts in our hearts as Christians about the gospel, the doubts caused by our ongoing battle with sin the doubts caused by suffering and dying. So what then shall we say to these things, the truths of the gospel? And what Paul does in verses 31 to 38 is answer that uh, question in verse 31 with a whole range of what are unanswerable questions. Rhetorical questions, if you like, Verses 31 to 39, almost picture this in your minds. It's like in a courtroom and the counsel for the defense stands up and the jury knows that the person is not guilty and the counsel of the defense stands up and gives his final speech and throws out a whole range of questions to which there is no answer in the sense there is no case against these questions. So let me just run through them to remind you. Verse 31b, if God is for us, who can be against us? So think of the counsel in the courtroom. If God is for you, if the God of glory is for you, who can be against you? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, if God gave us Jesus, and think of what it cost God to give his beloved son. If God gave us Jesus, will God not also give you all things that you need? on the road to glory as a Christian. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? People will try. The devil will whisper in your heart and mind, you are guilty of sin. You're not forgiven. But who will bring any charge against God's elect? Who is to condemn? 
when Jesus Christ has died and given us his righteousness, there is no charge. There is no condemnation. And then we get to our verses 35 and following. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? And the list goes on, verse 38, death, life, angels, rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, anything else. In other words, take Paul's 15 examples and add any of your own. Can anything separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? If the answer to that question is no, then if you're not a Christian, you need to quickly become a Christian because there is nothing else in this world that can answer that kind of question. So, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, in order to understand that question, we've got to understand the bit at the end, what does it mean? What is the love of Christ? What does that mean? We need to be clear, not vague, about what Paul means. After all, the question concerns separation from the love of Christ. So what is the love of Christ? Well, let me answer that in three ways. And they're all in Romans 8. First, the love of Christ is rooted in who Jesus is. To understand what the love of Christ is, from which we cannot, Paul argues, be separated, we need to understand who Christ is, from whom the love comes. Verse 34, Christ Jesus, this is who he is, is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That is who Jesus is, from whose love and from whom you cannot be separated. He is God the Son, who came to earth and died and was raised. And notice Paul's focus now is not on the death, but on the resurrection. And not on the resurrection, but on the reign of Jesus Christ where he is now, the majestic king of glory, before whom every knee will bow and confess that he is Lord and God. The love of Christ is rooted in who he is. Second, the love of Christ is expressed in his commitment to us, his commitment such that he died for us and that God gave him for us and that he gave himself for us. His commitment is such that as he reigns for us, he prays for us. Or to use the language of Romans 8.31, Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, is for us. So the love of Christ, what does it mean? What is this love of Christ from which nothing can separate you? It is him in terms of who he is. It is his commitment to us. He is for us. Thirdly, the love of Christ is purposeful in what he has achieved for us. His death achieves for us forgiveness, no condemnation, liberation, emancipation from the power of sin. And his death achieves for us 
with his resurrection, life in the Spirit now, and then resurrection with a resurrected body in a resurrected creation, a glorious inheritance, a glorious eternity. Who shall separate us then from the love of Christ? What is the love of Christ? The love of Christ is who he is, his person. What a powerful person he is who loves you. The love of Christ is his commitment to us. He is for you. And the love of Christ is what he has achieved in you and for you. That is what Paul means by the love of Christ. So who shall separate us from this love? Notice in all of Paul's questions in Romans 8, 31 to 39, his question is not what can separate us, but who can separate us. And the reason for that is that behind all the stuff that we face that might, humanly speaking, separate us from the love of Christ, there is the real person of the devil. Somebody said to me after last Sunday morning service, is the devil real? And the answer is yes. I think as Christians, there is a danger that we can see the devil lurking behind every door. Perhaps there is a greater danger that we don't think he's lurking behind as many doors as he is. After all, a lion, and that is the way the New Testament describes the devil, is unknown to you until he has pounced. So the devil is real. That's why Paul puts the pronoun who at the front of every question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is there anything that can come between Christ and his love for us? Let me give you an illustration. It is not a perfect illustration, but it's good enough. Picture Jesus Christ standing upstream from you. Picture yourself standing downstream. And in between Christ and you is the stream that is Christ's love toward you. You stand in the stream of Christ's love in your life. Now, can anything separate you from Christ's love in your life? Can anything get into that stream that blocks or dams up the flow of Christ's love to you? And stuff will come into that stream for sure. Boulders will fall into the stream. But Paul's argument is that the river that is Christ's love will always find a way through. That it will never be blocked. That it cannot be blocked. Now how does a river or a stream as it courses down a mountain find its way round a boulder? Well, precisely by finding its way round the boulder. What does Christ's love do when it pours down towards you and meets a boulder that might separate you from his life? 
This is where the reality is different from the illustration. Christ's love does not take a left or a right and navigate around the boulder. Christ's love goes right through the boulder. And it's in the very stuff that we think, humanly speaking, should separate us from Christ's love that we experience and know the inseparability of his love. Now, that's what Paul is trying to say. What kind of stuff, then, might try to separate us from the love of Christ? Well, Paul's focus in verse 35 is the suffering we experience because we are Christians. Opposition, and in some parts of the world, persecution. So he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Now, in parts of the world where Christians are persecuted in this kind of way that Paul is speaking of, what Paul says here is enormously powerful. Just think of it. For surely, that kind of persecution the kind of persecution that is tribulation or distress or famine or nakedness or danger or sword will separate Christians from the love of Christ. How can this all-powerful love of Christ keep running? Is it maybe not that when that stuff comes, he is not all that loving or not all that powerful? Or surely this kind of intense persecution that some Christians are experiencing in the world will cause them to turn away from Christ and separate them from his love and in the end Jesus himself. Now my illustration of a bubbling stream is one thing, but in real life that's quite another thing. Surely, that stuff in verse 35 will block the stream. Surely, it will dam up the stream. Surely, it will cut off Christ's love. Because Paul is not saying here that for the Christian, that stuff will not come. He's not saying that. He's saying that it will come, and will not separate you from Christ's love. How is that? Well, Paul gives a two-part answer. Part one is verse 36. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That is a quotation from Psalm 44. The context of the psalm is those who suffer innocently. And according to the psalm, Paul is making the point that Christians will suffer innocently, without just cause, simply because they are Christians. Simply because they have a Christian testimony. Simply because they hold out the gospel. Simply because they live by the authority of the word of God. And of course, that is principally reflected in Christ's own life, the Lamb of God, who was led like a sheep to be slaughtered. Suffering without just cause for the Christian, suffering at the hands of those who oppose God and his people is normal Christian experience. Not easy, but normal. And it is how the gospel advances. It is how convictions are clarified. It is how God often conforms us to the likeness of his Son. 
So will suffering for our faith separate us from the love of Christ? No, because to suffer for one's faith is precisely what it means to be in Christ. You suffer for your faith. And as you look upstream to Christ, you know that the one in whom you live suffered. And you suffer with him. It is part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. It is not something outside of the realm of normal Christian experience. It is hard, but it's normal. It will not separate you from the love of Christ. Rather, it takes you into the realm of what it means to experience Christ and his love. Now, part two of Paul's answer is a little more direct. Part two of his answer to the question, will suffering because we are Christians, opposition, persecution because we are Christians, separate us from his love? Paul's part two of his answer is a little sharper. Verse 37, no. Just a short answer. But Paul being Paul elaborates a bit on the no. What he says is very profound in verse 37. Shall suffering, because we are Christians, separate us from the love of Christ? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. In all these things, in other words, in all the things that I've listed in verse 35, all the kinds of suffering we experience for our faith, and in some parts of the world that even means death, in all that stuff, Paul says, we are more than conquerors. The Greek is superlative. We are super conquerors. How are we conquerors? Suffering will not conquer us. We will conquer it. How? Even Christians who lose their lives because of their faith will be conquerors and that they will be raised to life. And in the tiny ways, comparatively, and they are tiny, but they are not unreal, they are real. In the tiny ways, we experience suffering for our faith, whether individually or as a church. When we come under pressure, does it separate us from Christ's love? Or isn't it true, rather, that it strengthens us, steadies us, paradoxically, reassures us of his love because we stand with him. So how are we more than conquerors? Super conquerors. It's not that when you endure opposition there is great rejoicing and a feeling of victory Usually the opposite. We are super conquerors because God, because he is God, will judge justly in the end. Justice will always be done. I 
And then finally, the last two verses in Romans 8. Paul is on the same theme. He is still answering the question of verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? His focus in verses 35 to 37 was the suffering, the opposition we experience as Christians because of our faith. That is not going to separate us from the love of Christ. But now in verses 38 and 39, Paul generalizes. His list is comprehensive. Into his list comes not only the suffering and opposition we experience because we are Christians, but the suffering Christians experience like everybody else in the world because we live with dying bodies in a dying world. Can any of that? Think of Romans 8. Could cancer or depression or family heartaches or anything else separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Can the valley of the shadow of death separate us? What a bold question that is. What a bold question the Apostle Paul throws out at the end of Romans 8. List me anything in this world. List me anything on your heart. List me anything in your life. Can any of that separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? If Paul's no is right, then throw your lot in with Christ. Now, let me just emphasize that Paul is not saying that we will not avoid sickness and pain and anxiety and dying and death and all the rest of it in our lives as Christians. Picture the stream. You're downstream. Christ is upstream. Look at that stream ahead of you in life. It's full of that kind of stuff. How can Paul be sure that none of that stuff upstream in your life can separate you from the love of God and Christ? Well, verses 38 and 39 in many ways parallel verse 28. Just look back to verse 28 with me. Verse 28 and verses 38 and 39 are the most often quoted verses in Romans. These are the verses that make the tea towels and the little pictures that hang on your bathroom wall. They are the most often quoted. They are the most often misunderstood or insensitively used. But flip the coin on these verses like verse 28. And if you get verse 28, you get a depth of reassurance and confidence in the Christian life that is often so elusive. Verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Good, remember, means God's will that we be conformed to the likeness of his Son and brought safely home to glory. All things, including our suffering, God and his sovereign purposes and care for us works together for that good. And verses 38 and 39 say the same thing in a different way. 
Not in verses 38 and 39, all things work together for that good. Rather, it's just the same thing the other way around. Nothing cannot work together for that good. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's not stoicism or blind faith. Such conclusions are born out of a deep understanding of the gospel, a deep appreciation that the love of God for us in Christ Jesus that flows downstream from Christ to you when it comes against that stuff in your life. And if I'm really honest with you, I can only see and understand little shafts of light that say this is true. But I know in my head it's true, and retrospect shows me it's true. When the love of Christ hits that stuff in the stream of your life, It doesn't turn left or right. It just flows through it. And as it flows through it, it uses even that stuff to conform us to the likeness of Christ and bring us home to glory. Now think of you walking upstream in your life. If you are just at the moment in your life facing some boulder, And on the law of pastoral averages, 20% of us will be now in this room. That's real life. When you stand there facing that boulder, you may, but you probably won't, realize that through that circumstance, the love of Christ will not be diverted, but will flow through it and in it. When you're past the boulder. You look back and you will see that never as you journeyed up that hard bit of the stream were you separated from the love of God in Christ. Now, in conclusion, I want to point us to two phrases They are the two phrases at the beginning and end of verses 38 and 39. The two phrases, for I am sure. And then the final words of Romans 8, the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. For I am sure, Paul writes. And remember the reason Paul writes Romans 8, for I am not sure. And now at the end, for I am sure. Do you have that kind of assurance as a Christian? I hope and pray that as we have studied Romans and wrestled with the gospel, which we have as a church, that as a Christian you have found a deeper assurance with God and Christ. And if you have found it, you have found it because you have done what? You have wrestled with me as I have preached this to understand the gospel. Assurance comes primarily from understanding the gospel. So don't relax when we're done with Romans 8 from wrestling with the word of God for that deep and simple and profound understanding of the gospel. Let me say this as well. 
It's my last reference to a letter I've had in Romans 8. I had one more this week. It came from somebody who said to me, I cannot ever feel assurance or that God is with me. Now that kind of response to the gospel comes from us all. But let me just ask you honestly, how many days in your life as a Christian do you feel some sense of the indwelling spirit living in you that God is in you? Actually feel entirely safe and secure and reassured and free from all the stuff that troubles us in life. Sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes when I sing hymns like When Peace Like a River, I know the old words, not these new words. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Sometimes the the feeling, the conviction, the inner confidence that all is well is there. If you are a person who suffers from depression, it is never there. Never. You feel nothing. And I wrote back to that person, and I said, Paul's concern primarily is not that we feel who we are as Christians, but that we know the gospel, that we know who we are as Christians. See how he finishes with Romans 8? It's knowledge, knowing who we are. For I am sure, for I am sure Are you nearly a Christian but not quite sure? Well, let me invite you not to hover in that no man's land of not being quite sure. Come to a Christianity Explored course. Speak to me if you want to read the Bible one-to-one. Ask your questions that you might become sure. Maybe you're not nearly, not nearly, not nearly not a Christian. In other words, you're a long, long way away. Let me ask you, are you sure that without Christ in this life, you're on safe ground? What's going to get you through that stream? And that toughest bend in the stream at the end. And then finally, of course, I don't want to finish with a a note like that, for I am sure, that's the whole point of the gospel, you can be sure. Because as we'll see at Easter weekend, everything that we have as Christians is based not on what I do, but on what he did. And then the phrase at the end, the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, the closing words of Romans 8.
Remember, I've said to you all along in Romans 8 that if you can understand anything I've said at all, remember one thing, Romans 8, verse 1, for there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I had a prayer meeting this morning at 9.15. Somebody prayed. It's pretty discouraging if you're the preacher. Dear Lord, if no one's understood anything in Romans 8, we pray that we'll remember verse 1. Dear me. What a way that Paul begins and ends the chapter. It's great, isn't it? What are the bookends? Verse 1. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine, alive in him, the living head, clothed in his righteousness sublime. And how does it end? What are the last words? What are we left with? We're left upstream with this picture of Christ and the words, the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me remind you what that is. It is who he is, God the Son, the King of glory. It is his commitment to us. Christ is for us. It is his purpose achieved in us and for us. No condemnation, liberation, adoption, no separation, resurrection, everlasting glory. If Jesus is your Savior and Lord, Remember that is what his love means. Find a deeper depth of assurance. When we've studied Romans 8, I've been very careful to point out that perfection is not attainable in this life. No one has written to me saying, I think it is. I've been very careful to say to you as your minister, that avoidance of suffering is not attainable in this life. No one has written to me to say that it is. Many people have written to me saying, can I know perfect assurance? Well, I think the answer to that question is yes. Romans 8 says that in the battles and struggles of life, you can be one 100% sure that nothing can nor will separate you from the love of God in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great chapter in your word. We thank you for this great conclusion. And we pray, Lord, that as we contemplate on what is ahead of us in our lives or what we are experiencing currently, that we will be sure that nothing can separate us from your love in Christ Jesus. If we're not quite sure, we pray that we would seek after the answers to the questions we have, that we might become sure. We're far away from the Lord Jesus. We pray that we would ask ourselves the hardest questions. Are we really sure that turning away from him is right? If we are Christians and we're facing a tough bit in the river that is life, we pray that we would quietly humbly, without explanation even or understanding of how it is, 
know that the Lord Jesus' love will not find a way round that, but will find a way right into it so that in the struggles and battles, we will know, not before them, not even after them, but in them, right in them, right in their heart, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Lord, I pray as minister, as pastor, that truth to bed down in every heart, not least the preacher, for your glory, so that we might love Christ more keenly and love one another more keenly. Help us to keep on wrestling to understand the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.